0: Welcome again to Profiles on Nantucket Community Television, Channel 18. I'm Charlie Walters. My guest today is Kitty Pochman. You probably know her as the Executive Director of the Linda Loring Nature Foundation, and she's here to tell us all about that foundation. Kitty,
1: thanks for doing this. Well, thank you for inviting me, Charlie. It's an honor.
0: Let's start with the basics. Who was Linda Loring, and how did this foundation come to be?
1: Linda was a longtime resident of Nantucket. She um, probably arrived here as an infant when her grandparents owned a home, and so she spent summers here and eventually moved here year-round. She was a passionate advocate for wildlife and conservation and had always... interested in how to preserve land around Nantucket I love the story that she told me that it was in the 50s and she was out at the north head of Long Pond and the Sun was rising and she looked across the landscape and you can imagine this was in the 50s off of Eel Point Road so none of those houses were there and she saw this exquisite landscape and said to herself I have to own that And so she started to purchase all the property out there that she eventually owned there was about 270 acres and then the question arose what was she going to do with this land she had a house there on the pond that she spent time at and was an avid gardener beautiful gardens there and she um, eventually settled upon establishing a foundation so she created the Linda Loring Nature Foundation, and it was in 2007 when the Nantucket Land Council raised the money to purchase the development rights on the property and put a conservation restriction in place. And that's when the organization became operational. So it existed prior to that? It did exist prior to that, but it was not operational. It did not have funds or no staff were um, available at that point in time. And I was hired in 2007 once they became operational.
0: Now, just to put this into the context of time, uh, Linda passed away a few years ago.
1: 2019.
0: And she was how old?
1: She was 99 when she passed away.
0: So she came here about 1920.
1: She was born Uh, in 1920. Yes, 1922. So she was 98 when she was. uh.
0: Well, before we did this show, I was looking at an aerial map of that entire area. And uh, as, as you were referring to a moment ago, it's now surrounded by houses. When Linda first saw it, there weren't any houses there. But if you look now, there is this island of Close to 300 acres or close to half a square mile, which on Nantucket is huge. And, and there, it is, there it is with houses, fairly new houses all around it. Now, you mentioned Long Pond. The, the foundation's land borders the head of Long Pond. Where are your offices on the property?
1: Our offices are located at 110 Eel Point Road. Linda had a house moved to that parcel, and so that's where we started working when when staff was hired in 2007. Shortly after that, Linda donated several parcels to the west that were part of her estate there and Those became part of the Linda Loring Nature Foundation The Nature Conservancy transferred land to us that they owned on Eel Point Road. I didn't know that. Yes, and uh, then when Linda died in 2019 the Linda Loring Nature Foundation was a beneficiary of her estate So the rest of the property came to us and that's why we have over 275 acres now
0: and just for those not familiar with that area the driveway into where your office is, is that just after Eagle Point Road goes from pavement to dirt?
1: It is about eight-tenths of a mile from (laughs) where it turns to dirt to the driveway, and there are rocks on either side of the driveway. The old driveway to Linda's house has a gate across the road, and it's marked as private because that property is not open to the public yet.
0: Okay. It's, it's part of the same parcel. Yes. Um, but Yeah, but not, not accessible to the public. Exactly. Uh, let's have you describe the property. Sure. All 275 acres. <laughs> I, you know, on Nantucket, that's, as I said earlier, that's, that's a lot of land on Nantucket.
1: It is, and it's one of the largest, at the time when Linda owned it, it was one of the largest privately held parcels on the island. Hmm. Now, organizations like the Conservation Foundation have much larger properties than we do. But uh, for a private landowner to have had that much land at the time was pretty significant. There were not many private landowners who had that much land. And so, you know, it's a really very special place piece of land. It's a mix of habitats. There's sampling grasslands, there are shrub uh, swamps, there are hard no, not hardwood forests, but pine forests, a lot of uh, pitch pine. We have a lot of uh, black tupelo on the property. Um, but primarily it is sampling grassland and heathland, which is the grasslands especially are globally rare habitats and home to insects and birds that are not found in other parts of the island it's one of the reasons why it's so important that this parcel has been protected
0: now the elevation i don't believe changes very much anywhere in the the western part of nantucket
1: (laughs) Not significantly there are a few dips and rises on the property and at one point you on our trail you can see out to Nantucket Sound it's high enough that you can see over to the sound it's quite beautiful and you know what you can see there is you know the surrounding area is is really very peaceful and you feel like you're very immersed in nature when you're there talk about those trails we currently have about one and a half miles of trails it's a circle loop and with a short cutoff that we have what we call a story walk or a story trail where we post a book on the trail. Uh, books are aimed at uh, preschool to uh, primary grades and the book is on the trail You can read it as you walk on the trail, and it's also translated into Spanish. We work with the community school on that project, and ever since we launched it, I think it was in 2009 when we started doing the story trail, we have been working with the community school to translate all of the books into Spanish. Are you open year-round out there? If you want to go on the trail any time of the year, you can do that. The trails are open year-round, dawn to dusk. We do not have dogs on the property as per our conservation restriction because mm-hmm. we're a wildlife sanctuary. Yeah. And for the protection of the plants and the animals and for the research plots that we have out there, it's really important that that, that is, is followed. The, um, you know, there are plenty of other wonderful spaces where people can walk their dogs around the island. We don't have anything against dogs. <laughs> it's part of our conservation restriction that the Land Council enforces.
0: Is there a fee to walk the trails or?
1: No, no, we do not charge for many of our programming. We've been very fortunate because of our founder that we have been able to offer programming free of charge, most of it. We do charge for a few things. Uh, Sarah is teaching a, an ecology course, a coastal That's ecology. Sarah Boyce. Sarah Boyce is who is Dr. Sarah Boyce is our director of research and education, and she and Dr. Jen Carberg of the Conservation Foundation are in their third year of teaching this coastal ecology class. That's something that we do charge for, and we do charge for some after-school programming that we do with the community school, but our bird walks are offered for free. Our, uh, any of our on-trail walks uh, that we have throughout the year are offered for free. We go into the schools, we do programming with the schools, uh, all the schools, the independent schools and the public school system, and we are able to do that for no charge. We do ask that people become members and support us because that is really helpful. And it supports, you know, conservation on Nantucket. How big is your staff and who are they? There are five of us on the staff at the Linda Loring Nature Foundation. I was the first staff member hired in 2007, so I've been there for 15 years. Sarah Boyce is our director of research and education. Seth Engelborg is our naturalist educator and program manager. Kristen Bullitt is our community outreach coordinator, and Libby Buck is our conservation science and land steward.
0: I went to your website and read it uh, many times before this show, so let's, let's go through some of the things that, are, that you emphasize. Research. Talk to us more. You've mentioned
1: this, but talk some more about some research you're doing out okay. there. Sure. Well, there are three pillars to the work that we do. There's research, there's conservation and stewardship, and there's education, all of which work together to inform our programming and our outreach that we do at the foundation. Research, Sarah launched her research program when she was hired 10 years ago, and she studies phenology, which is a fancy science word for the timing of things. So you and i were talking earlier charlie about how plants are starting to come out a little earlier Mm -hmm. this is time of year when i start seeing things like the um, invasive honeysuckle is starting to leaf out and we've all noticed that daffodils are blooming around the island this is a little early for nantucket yes and so I, I, i should say that today is march 21st officially spring yes yes and so what sarah does is she has certain plants that she's studying around the around our property and she goes out every week and records when the leaves start to come out when the buds start to fatten up when all of this is happening and also temperature and how that is coordinated with things happening in the plant world it's all interconnected you know as plants come out earlier insects that feed on those plants start to come out earlier. And then one of the things that happens, one of the impacts is that birds that are migrating through or maybe coming here to uh, nest on Nantucket for the summer will arrive after the insects that they rely on for their food source have already disappeared. And so Mm. that's a really interesting Thing to think about how everything is so coordinated in our world and while it's lovely having warmer winters it's an impact that mm-hmm. is significant one of the other impacts that happens and that Sarah studies as well <coughs> excuse me are the impacts of many times we call them invasive species because they're not native to a particular area but they are also can be considered climate refugees that are Hmm. moving their territories as the climate changes. I don't know if you saw the article that was published in the Boston Globe recently, but with warmer winters, the tick populations are not dying off in the winters. Yes, I did notice that. And we all know. Not what we want to hear. It is not what we want to hear. And with, increased tick populations there are increased exposures to all the tick-borne diseases that we don't want but uh, that is a little off topic um well not really I mean, that's, it's that's what all about climate for. change but, but is there a good side to that
0: if there are creatures birds who thrive on ticks if there are any of those on nantucket they're having a feast they would be having a feast. I'm not sure course, if but they're not here. The only one I've heard of is guinea hens. I don't know how many guinea hens there are in Nantucket. Not, not many. Not many. Not many.
1: Anyway, I put you off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Back to you. So um, so a lot of Sarah's work is uh, really around climate change. And we are seeing other impacts. And one of the reasons that we're doing the research on the north head of Long Pond is testing the salinity and the water levels because the north head of Long Pond, well, Long Pond itself, is connected to Madiket, uh, through Madiket Ditch to Nantucket Sound. And so there's tidal influence through that whole area. And we can observe that. We can see, you know, where the the water is, the levels are, you know, as the tides change. And so it's important to study these things because that information is what is going to inform decisions going forward that how our island is going to. You know, protect itself and what is it going to do to become resilient against climate change and sea level rise? Education. Education is, has always been key to the work that we're doing. And <clears throat> we work with the schools, all the schools, um, the independent schools, as well as the public school, and we'll either do programming on site um, with field trips and uh, Actually, do a lot of work with the Boys and Girls Club. That's one piece of education, and that is the focus mostly in the off-season, because in the summertime we are doing more um, family and adult programming. Mm-hmm. So there are opportunities for birding trips. We do regularly scheduled birding trips as well as private birding trips if somebody wanted to, you know, hire Seth uh, through the foundation to You know, take them on a private birding trip. It's a fun way to um, explore the island and learn more about, you know, the avian populations. Do you go into the schools? We do go into the schools. We will go into um, all the schools. The new school, we do a lot of work with some of the research projects that the students at the new school do. We would go into the lighthouse school, and we also go into the public schools. Um, Other education programs that we do, a lot with the Boys and Girls Club and the community school. We work collaboratively with them throughout the year. And the Boys and Girls Club will come out during the summers as well. Um, Much of the education is... Can be considered passive education I suppose so if somebody is coming out and walking on the trails we have our trail guide it's uh, that you can download uh, from our website or we have uh, QR codes that you can just read it on your phone and that guide is actually translated into five different languages and we started to do that quite a few years ago. Um, The schools translate all of their materials into these same languages, so we've worked with a translating company, and it is translated into Bulgarian, Spanish, Russian, Nepalese, and... Portuguese, maybe? I'm Portuguese, yes, yes. You mentioned
0: birding a moment ago. Talk some more about that. Well, birds are
1: Something that people just love, (laughs) you know, they're fun. They're fun to watch. They're fun to learn more about. Um, You know, right around now is the time when the osprey start to return to Nantucket. And so that's always an exciting time because many of us on Nantucket think that it's when the osprey return that spring has finally arrived, Hmm. not when the equinox occurs, but, You know, we do birding trips uh, throughout uh, spring into the fall and, uh, again, work with our conservation partners and uh, visit different sites around the island depending on, you know, what you might see in a different habitat. You know, you'll see different birds at the beach than you will see in the woods. And so you want to experience all the different birds here. There's a lot of, lot of great birds. And this is the time of year woodcocks start to go through their mating dances, and those are always fun to observe as well. What do you know about vultures? I'm seeing more and more vultures in places I would never expect to see in I the first would, place. I would suggest that you might want to talk to... Dr. Sarah Boyce about vultures because she worked did an internship in California with the condors and she is oh, really? a big fan of of vultures. They are definitely being seen more and more on the island. Um, when I first came to Nantucket, you did not see no turkey vultures I don't, I don't here. Think there were any at all? I don't think so. And probably in the last fifteen years, you know, mm-hmm. there have been more and more, and the population has grown. It's You see them everywhere. I understand they're roosting in town now.
0: Uh, I can tell you (laughs) firsthand, yes, uh, across the street from our house in town, Mm -hmm. there were nine of them on the the widow's walk. Yes. And they're big birds. They are big birds. Tiny heads but huge bodies.
1: Well, they're a wonderful species because, well, they, you know, are scavengers. And one of the reasons they don't have feathers on their heads is because they're scavengers and you don't want, you know, the carcass that they're eating to get caught up in the feathers. So they also <laughs> have a se- that. they that's also have a sense of smell, which birds mm-hmm. typically do not have a sense of smell. Huh.
0: So that's why if there's a carcass around, don't be surprised if they're right. are vultures circling.
1: Exactly. Stewardship. Again, you've you mentioned that before, but tell us some more about that. Sure. Well, conservation and stewardship is probably the primary reason the Linda Loring Nature Foundation was protected. Because of those rare habitats, you know, I didn't mention vernal pools. We have vernal pools, we have... And, and what is a vernal pool? A vernal pool is a, pool, a water body that is only around in the spring. Hence and, the name vernal. hence the name vernal. and they are very specific um, animals that are found a uh, fairy shrimp that are found in a vernal pool, and then they dry up in the summertime. But uh, it's a very important habitat for you know certain amphibian species and uh, for turtles. And so those are found on the property. How big are those <laughs> vary in size as far as I know some are pretty small some are a little bit larger Uh, if they get too, they they wouldn't be considered a vernal pool if they're too large okay but um, you know the um, the reason the conservation restriction was placed on the property was to protect those conservation values and you know open space is really critical especially in a place like Nantucket because it helps to protect our aquifer. We're Mm -hmm. a sole source aquifer here. Yes. And this is essential to survival of the island. And so open space is really critical to helping to protect, you know, the aquifer. And so, you know, view sheds are important. So looking, when you look out across the landscape and you see this you know, beautiful landscape and, you know, you just well, we all say it just takes our breath away being on Nantucket because it mm-hmm. is such a beautiful place. It is indeed. Mm-hmm. And conservation, I think, is one of the important things here that that attracts people.
0: I agree completely.
1: You know, so. the, the history is amazing, but protection of our open spaces, having that, is not something that you have in most communities.
0: That's true. We're we're very lucky that people started getting serious about this generations ago. Exactly, we are. we are. When I was looking at the aerial map, of course you can't miss the head of Long Pond, mm-hmm. but just to the east of that, there was something that the GIS maps identified as a pond, but the aerial maps, the actual photographs, you can see that it's not a
1: pond, but what is it? Do you know what I'm talking about? I you, think I know what you're talking it, about. Well, there's, there's an old cranberry like, bog on the property Really? Yes. Well, I wonder if that's what I was looking at. That could be. That could be. And there's, um, there are several ditches. I think there were several cranberry bogs on the property because there were several ditches that were constructed for irrigation purposes. Mm-hmm. And then there are several other ponds, located small ponds located around, you know, the east end of the property that are, you know, great turtle habitat.
0: Now, these bogs, were they natural bogs, or were they human-made? I
1: don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, I know in reading that I've done about the property that at one point the bogs were farmed. But whether that means they were enhanced by human hand or um, I know many, many years ago uh, I actually went picking cranberries and some little bog, wild bog, off Mattacate Road that was on the edge of Linda's property.
0: Well, if you get a whole bunch of people in the eastern part of the property,
1: <laughs> this
0: may be why they're there. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you anymore how I got to it. I was. <clears throat> I if took... somebody happens to find a small bog or a small grouping of cranberries on Foundation property. Can I pick one and eat them?
1: Oh, well, you can pick a cranberry, but it's pretty sour. It is sour. <laughs> they are yeah. very tart. They certainly they are, are. very tart. We have a lot of huckleberry and blueberry on the property, and the staff certainly go out and pick a, <laughs> and enjoy them. and And that's one of the fun things when you take people out on the property. And, you know, the different... There are so many different ways to experience nature, you know, through your senses. You see things, you smell things, you smell bayberry. It smells amazing. The clethra, the sweet pepper bush, when it's in bloom, is, you know, just heavenly. Um, you can taste the huckleberries and the blueberries. We have rose hips. We have, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of different uh Plants growing out there that you know, just really can enhance your experience, you know, sight, sound, smell, hear the birds.
0: What kinds of flora and fauna might you find on foundation property that you might not find in other parts of the island?
1: Well, I don't think that there's anything necessarily unique other than insects and the insects, the tiny bees and the tiny um, moths that are found out there that are considered very rare, the, if you weren't a scientist, you wouldn't be noticing them most likely. Mm -hmm. The other wildlife that you would encounter is the wildlife that you'd see everywhere. Deer, Mm -hmm. mice, feral cats, unfortunately. Really? Um, A lot of those? Not a lot, but we have seen them on the property and, uh-huh. you know, along Eel Point Road.
0: You have virtual presentations. Now, maybe there are things you've just talked about, but what are some of your virtual presentations?
1: So, I think nine years ago, we started Science Pub. And when we launched it, it was an in-person um, gathering you know they, they have them at colleges and universities around the country and you know you go to a bar you hear about you know someone's research and it's this casual setting and um, you know it's a way to learn about the science that's happening in your community so we held them in several different locations around the island until the pandemic hit. And then, of course, we were struggling to find a way to continue to offer Science Pub. And like so many organizations, hit upon that idea well, we'll just try something virtual. And it worked out fantastically because now we have people join from around the world really we do and we can have speakers from around the country don't you know you don't have to be on nantucket or travel to nantucket and it's just really broadened our reach significantly by doing it so those we have those january through may and then the field season gets too busy and uh, staff are out doing data collection (laughs) And people are and people are visiting. Are wandering around. <laughs> yes.
0: Um, before I ask my next question, next question: Where do you park if you're a visitor? Where do you park?
1: We have a parking lot. We have a little parking area by our office. By our offices okay. at 110, and there's it's right there at the trailhead, mm-hmm. so you can just walk uh, from there. And we also have some picnic tables out for people to rest. Mm-hmm. There are benches on the trails, you know, several are memorial benches um, mm-hmm. that are very gracious donors have contributed. And, um, you know, there's nice views from where they, those are located to overlook the pond, overlook the sound, you know, in some peaceful location.
0: A moment ago, you mentioned invasive species, and I'm connecting that with a photograph I saw on the website, I believe, of black pines being removed. I assume they're an invasive species. why are you removing those as opposed to
1: something else? Well, other than the Japanese black pines, we are very fortunate that we don't have many invasive species on the property. And the populations that we have had, we've been able to manage fairly well on our own. Japanese black pines were very popular, you know, in the last few decades because they're particularly wind resistant Mm -hmm. and so a lot of people planted them they became they were good wind buffers. but the problem with them is that they 're not native. they do spread significantly they do not live very long, and when they die they become fire hazard hmm. and they move into other habitat and you know that's one of the downsides of any invasive species it outcompetes the native Plants, And so removing them helps to improve the habitat. And habitats that are native species tend to be much more resistant to climate change as well. Mm. And it increases the biodiversity of a habitat. So you'll have more plants and you'll have more insects and more animals, more birds in a biodiverse habitat. So, we've been removing these stands of Japanese black pines. We've been very fortunate to have some significant grants from the state of Massachusetts and from some foundations to remove these pines. And by recreating the sandplain grassland habitat, it's also improving the habitat for some uh, bird species that nest specifically in grasslands.
0: Now, how does it happen that there are few, if any, well, not there are some, obviously how come there are so few invasive species on the foundation's land did did linda was she aware of this sort of thing and did she deliberately not plant things
1: um let's see i think it's because the habitat that parcel was never really um, how should i what's the word i'm trying to find here not developed the foundation was never developed that that property was never developed and so there was there was not a lot of human intervention on -hmm. the property or disturbance Mm -hmm. and when there isn't disturbance you you know the the habitat stays much more natural Um, the japanese black pines were planted (laughs) there and and spread Um, pretty significantly. The other things that we find on the property, a little bit of um, uh, honeysuckle, which is, you know, can be removed, but not significant amounts of honeysuckle. Mm -hmm. Uh, We find some of the grasses that are mostly escaped from gardens, and those we can remove pretty fairly easily. Um, Eel Point Road itself has some Problems with some invasive species. Uh, Black swallow wart and uh, spotted knapweed in particular are on Eel Point Road, and so we work with some of the conservation organizations around the island to remove some of those invasive species that are you know, easily removed with uh, a cohort of volunteers. Do we know what the
0: land out there looked like before the English settlers got here? I'm thinking, was there a forest out there, or uh, on a grassland plain? I guess there couldn't have been.
1: Probably not. I think most of Nantucket. If you go back and look at Peter Dunwitty's book, *The Landscape of Nantucket*, and he took photographs of you know, you know, several decades apart, and because of the wind, there probably were not very many trees here. Once they got removed. And so it was pretty open landscape, um, you know, with uh, you know a lot of the grassland shrubland habitat. And there's more grassland
0: out on the south shore. And I, I, I'm just making the connection now. Linda used to have a cottage out there, didn't she? She did. She did have a cottage out there.
1: I don't know. Is that a coincidence, or did she have a special interest in grassland plains? <laughs> That's a good question. I never asked her that. Um, I think she liked the cottage because it was on the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> and there weren't a whole lot of houses near it. <laughs> and there weren't a whole lot of <laughs> Yes.
0: Before we go, tell us some more about yourself. How long have you been here? Where did you come from? <laughs> Etc. cetera.
1: Okay. Well, I had kind of a roundabout trip to Nantucket, I suppose, that... Uh, might not be that different than many people. I graduated from college and uh, came to work here for the summer. I was a waitress at Captain Toby's. Oh my God. Yes, back in the day. And I met my future husband at the end of the summer at Preston's Airport Lounge. (laughs) Another iconic place on Nantucket. And we wanted to move back to Nantucket but um and be here year-round and while we could find a place for the winter to live for the winter we couldn't find winter jobs this was in the 70s and Uh, it was a very different economy at the time and so we took a job uh, thinking it was going to be for one year in south carolina uh, to work at a private golf club in charleston and uh, the one year turned into 12 years, but we did 12 years of seasonal moving. Um, my husband ran the Nantucket Yacht Club. I remember and, it well. <laughs> and I was a young mother, and um, eventually, when we moved here year-round in 87, uh, I started working at the Nantucket Land Council. I worked there part-time, and their offices, which were then above uh, – Right by Congdon's Pharmacy in that area, okay. and on Main Street. And I worked there part-time, and I um, was then approached by the Mariah Mitchell Association to lead some flower plant walks for them in the fall. And I started to do that, and then they offered me a job. And I thought that was going to be a temporary job, but it became a year-round job. And eventually, I became the first executive director of the Mariah Mitchell Association. You were the first. In, really? I was. I was. I
0: know. That, that organization had been around long before you showed up. Oh, it, yes. But they'd never had an ED. That's they didn't.
1: They didn't. And so while I was there, it was when we became a year round organization. And I was at the Mariah Mitchell Association for 17 years. And one of the things that I loved about, that, about working there is that I went to a small women's college in Pennsylvania. And one of my mentors was my uh, major professor. And she was my advisor. I was a biology major. And I just was fascinated by you know, women scientists and women's education. And so finding and learning about Mariah Mitchell was mm-hmm. just a, you know, phenomenal for me. And I felt like I, I was in a really good place. And after 17 years, I, it was time for a change. And the Linda Loring Nature Foundation was advertising for their first executive director. And so I applied for the job. And here I am 15 years later. <laughs> From Mariah
0: Mitchell to Linda (laughs) Long.
1: Right. Two organizations honoring women, led by women. It's really cool. And it's Women's History Month.
0: Yes. And for that matter, most of your staff is women.
1: Yes. What, four out of the five? Four out of the five are women.
0: Yeah. Well, that's wonderful.
1: It is. That's
0: wonderful. Kitty, thank you for doing this.
1: Thank you, Charlie. I really appreciate it.
0: And if you see somebody in the eastern part of the property nosing around, it's probably me trying to
1: find a cranberry <laughs> pot. <laughs> or you can just ask us and we'll take <laughs> you
0: I'll there. take some of the fun out there. <laughs> I need the exercise. <laughs> Thanks again for doing this. You're I appreciate welcome. it. Thank you, Charlie. For Profiles on Natalgett Community Television, Channel 18, I'm Charlie Walters. Thank you for tuning in. Please join me again.